we could maybe we could go with mild in the province. Hot in the city might be a might be a bit of a push, but mild in the province, absolutely. Mild temperatures, snow for off and on for the next day or so for much of the province, but uh, mild temperatures definitely here for the next ten days, maybe the better part of two weeks, which is a welcome change from what, of course, we were going through over the last couple of weeks. Well, this moisture, I talked about the snow, coming out and seeing a couple of inches of snow on the vehicle this morning from an agricultural standpoint is great news. We know many of the uh, farmers in our province have had it pretty tough the last couple of years. Not enough moisture year-round. Summers have been hot. Parts of the province have got less than the average amount of rain or snow, and That really is making it very, very tough. Saskatchewan relies on producers to produce crops, livestock, whatever it might be. So years without rain and moisture can be very challenging. That's where Dr. Curtis Posniak's work comes in. He's the director of the University of Saskatchewan's Crop Development Center. They're always working on a new project with the science of farming in mind. Dr. Curtis Posniak is joining me today to look ahead to 2024, see what it's going to hold for farming, and uh, might navigate the work that they do as well to try and make continue to make a positive difference. Good afternoon, Curtis. Thanks for taking our call. Thanks, Evan, for having me. So I know your background is farming. In fact, I, I've seen the picture you've got standing in a field in blue jeans. I like it. Uh, so how does that help you in the day-to-day detailed work that you do at Saskatchewan's Crop Development Centre? Well, I'm, I'm the director of the Crop Development Centre, but also uh, also a wheat breeder and certainly growing up in uh, eastern Saskatchewan and, and working on the farm provides a lot of insight in terms of what's important for growers. Um, obviously, focusing on uh, productivity, yield is very important. And uh, in the last couple of years, been quite challenging for Western Canadian farmers with uh, with the droughts that we've been having. So certainly a lot of projects at the Crop Development Centre looking at uh, how we can address breeding for heat stress and drought tolerance uh, so that we can improve uh, productivity and, and more importantly the reliability of uh, uh, of, of yield on, on Western Canadian farms. That's interesting. So you, you literally do closely follow farming trends that are happening in the province, whether they're good or bad, and that helps align the work that you and the team do? No, absolutely. I, you know, I think plant breeding is a, is a fairly long process when we're thinking about de- uh, developing new crop varieties that can take anywhere from five to six to as long as eight years to develop a variety. So we really have to have this crystal ball look into the future of uh, what's important for Western Canadian agriculture and uh, and start working uh, to address those challenges well ahead of time. Dr. Dr. Curtis Posniak is my guest this morning, Director of the University of Saskatchewan's Crop Development Centre. So I'm curious when it comes to things like disease resistance or maybe tendencies toward lower, lower moisture levels that will be in the, in the soil, how do you do this work? What What is involved? And give us an example of the testing that you have to do to help bring out these different varieties. Well, each year we screen hundreds of thousands of breeding lines in each one of our breeding programs. And, and we try to select environments that are really conducive of what's happening uh, on Saskatchewan farms. Um, so I know in my own Durham wheat breeding program, uh, certainly drought tolerance is important. So we try to sample environments 
where we know traditionally that drought occurs. Uh, and that's really revealing. We grow the genetic material uh, in these trials and, and assess them for their performance. And you can quickly see the winners that are able to sort of withstand the stressful conditions. Uh, likewise, from a, a disease resistance point of view, uh, we're very fortunate uh, here uh, in Saskatoon at the university campus to have some excellent disease nurseries uh, where our pathologists work hard to artificially inoculate our plants with the diseases that are prevalent uh, and assess them for resistance in a very controlled manner. Uh, so that allows us quite early in the breeding process to, to identify those that are expressing a very good level of disease resistance. Um, but we also need to make sure that that resistance is stable over time. So we assess it for a number of years to make sure that when we release the variety out into, into farmers' hands, uh, that they're with, uh, that they're able to withstand the disease pressure, uh, as well as the heat and drought uh, pressures that that might come as well. Dr. Curtis Posniak, a director and a professor from the University of Saskatchewan's Crop Development Center. Like you, I grew up on a farm, and I I can picture my dad even as a young child. I remember my dad. I'd be standing there beside him. He'd stick his hand under the spout as the grain's pouring into the uh, hopper for the auger and take a look at a handful of wheat and often would comment on the color. He'd say, I, I wish it would be a little deeper. I wish the color would be. I noticed on your website, you talk about how color is important when it comes to being used in pasta, for example. That's part of the work you do as well? You bet. Hey, I've done the same thing. I, I, every time I go to the family farm, that's the first thing I do, take a look at the sample. And, and obviously, color is very important because it's, it's a part of the grading system. And of course, grade equals price. Uh, so you want to make sure you have the best color to, to achieve the best grade. Uh, so some of the work that I've been doing in Durham wheat uh, is actually looking at the color. Uh, color isn't just important to the grade, but it's also important to get that bright yellow color in the uh, in the pasta that we all like uh, when we're eating our spaghetti. Um, so we've done a lot of genetic analysis and identified um, the key genes that influence the traits, and we've been working very hard to uh, to improve the color uh, uh, of our Durham varieties. I'd say in, in my career, which spans uh, 20 years, uh, we've improved uh, the color of, of Durham pasta um, by about 150% uh, and just using uh, the latest in genetic uh, technologies that are available to us uh, to make sure that we can elevate that and bring value to, to our growers. Knowing that a lot of the improvements that you're talking about actually can improve yield, but they also could improve the price you get when you're selling your grain, I'm asking a selfish question, but being as you're based in Saskatchewan at the U of S for the Crop Development Center, do we get a leg up on the rest of Canadian farmers in the world because you're based in Saskatchewan? Well, I mean, uh, we're the center of the universe, right, Evan? <laughs> uh, most, of, most of the grain that's produced uh, uh, in the country is, is right here in Western Canada. So obviously, developing varieties that are well adapted uh, to this particular environment uh, does give us a leg up. 
we are in the middle of nowhere. We do have to ship our commodity out to, to international markets. And, and one of the targets of our breeding program uh, is around the marketability. Um, you can produce a high-yielding wheat crop or a high-yielding lentil crop, but you have to be able to sell it into international markets. So, so most certainly our breeding programs focus uh, on, on the marketability, uh, looking at things like, like the functionality of wheat flour um, and selecting for nutrient content, elevated protein levels, and, and those things which are in demand by our international customers. So that, too, also gives us a leg up uh, where we're producing a really high-quality product uh, that's in demand uh, in international markets. Dr. Posniak, thank you so much for taking our call today. Appreciate it, and keep up the good work at the Crop Development Centre. Thanks for having me, Evan. Take care. Dr. Curtis Posniak, he is the director and a professor at the U of S for the Crop Development Center. Some great groundbreaking work that they do there that ultimately enhances the work that our farmers can do in feeding the world. Some really good stuff. You're listening to 980 CJME and 650 CKOM. Well, thanks for joining us on this Monday. We are almost through another edition of the Evan Bray Show. And again, your contributions through giving me phone calls, giving some shooting some texts in, always appreciated. We talked teachers for a big chunk of the day today, and I uh, never can get to all the texts. There's, there's so many that come in. Here's one texter that says, I'm a driving instructor. Parents need to be part of the students learning with driving by practicing with them. I feel that parents also need to be more involved in the success of their child's learning. Parents need to be aware of any learning issues identified by the school and do more to help their child at home. Teachers are doing their best to identify these students, but are stretched very thin with the complex composition of their classes. It's not fair that this all falls on the teachers to improve the success of their students. Better homework practices at home would be a huge benefit in so many ways for both parent and child. Collaboration is key and parents need to be more involved. Hank from Regina texted in, some of the topics your listeners are bringing up are directed by the Ministry of Education. Failure of a class is not an issue until the student reaches grade 10. Then they can fail. The second one is that math is guesstimating, and estimating is also directed by the ministry. Teachers are being told by the Ministry of Education what to do. Teachers don't have the authority to make those decisions regarding curriculum. The ministry sets the curriculum and the standards. They don't allow failure until kids hit grade 10 from Hank and Regina. Appreciate all of the texts on this. And, of course, we had Samantha Beacott this morning as well. And uh, anytime we can get the STF president in and talk about class complexity, I asked the question. I said, if we could wave a magic wand, and have the province agree to class complexity at the bargaining table, which I don't think is going to happen. But if we could, what would that look like? Do you have any recommendations for that? And President Beacott talked about looking to the provinces that have it in their agreement. So BC and Quebec have it in their collective agreement now in terms of class size and complexity. But really it comes down to ratios, teachers to students, and students in a classroom with those complex needs and i'm you know i i've mentioned this now a couple of times but the number of people that have reached out to me uh most of them teachers or principals wanting to chat off the air because of course coming on the air and talking when they're in the middle of bargaining 
it's not something the SDF is going to allow. In fact, I've heard there could be repercussions for teachers if they were to speak directly to the media. So I haven't had any conversations on the air with current active teachers, certainly lots of retired teachers, but active teachers and principals have reached out to me and I, I very much appreciate that. So this conversation on education and teachers will definitely continue through the week. I didn't get a chance to mention this this morning, but I wanted to. Big fundraiser on the weekend I was very proud to participate in, in Regina for Hope's Home. What an incredible group. Hope Hope's Home provides inclusive care for kids with complex medical needs. They have locations in Saskatoon, Warman, Prince Albert, and Regina. And the weekend, they had the big Swinging with the Stars event. This is where community leaders are partnered up with actual professional dancers and they put a dance routine together, and then people are there. You can vote by donating for your favorite dancer. And they have a panel of judges, which included Richard Schwann, who was the winner, the People's Choice winner from last year. Kenzie Bergeron, who was representing the presenting sponsor, Blue Cross. She also, by the way, was part of the Royal Winnipeg Ballet at one time. So, yeah, you can see why she'd be a judge. And, uh, oh, yeah, Evan Bray host of the Evan Bray Show on 650 CKOM and 980 CGM. <laughs> what am I doing judging a dancing competition every year for the past five years? I don't know. I think I'm just funny. I make the odd funny joke. Anyway, congratulations, though, to this year's... Uh, well, first of all, everyone that participated. Phoebe Deciman, a basketball superstar, played years many years with the University of Regina, now works for SAS Polytech. Zach Dumont, who's a pharmacist. Dr. Aaron Cuttington. Dr. Seema Goyal. Uh, Jennifer Buckingham, who's a real estate agent. They all participated. They all did such a good job. Chad Engel from SAS Power was partnered up with professional dancer Samantha Weber. They won People's Choice Award. They raised, I think it was over $16,000. That number could be higher. It was going up as the night was going along. They had, though, an incredible dance routine. They worked in little video clips with some of the kids that are part of Hope's Home in Regina. It was so cute. And, of course, they gave the kids the ability to pick the song they would dance to and stuff like that. I thought it was outstanding. We, the judges, also had to pick a winner. And we picked Jen Dean. Jen is one half of the Sean and Jen show on Jack 94.5 FM, who, of course, our sister station uh, here in, uh, at uh, with Rolko. But also, she does some some parent coaching as well. She is the owner of, uh, of a business that focuses on that family's matters most. And uh, Jen and her partner, Sidney Klippenstein, did a great job. It was a 70s theme, so they had these high go-go boots on. At one point, they kicked them off and throw roller skates on and do part of their routine in roller skates. Anyway, tough decision for the judges, but ultimately, Jen Dean and Sidney Klippenstein were given the judges' choice. The real winners, though, Hope's Home. Great fundraiser, I think. Hundred and They were predicting about $150,000 potentially raised in that fundraiser, and again, I very much appreciated being able to be part of it. Well, we've reached the end of another day, and tomorrow morning at 8.36, you and I are back here doing it all over again, and I hope that you join me right here on 650 CKOM and 980 CJME.